0: Welcome to this week's episode of Mixed Methods. After getting a PhD from UC Berkeley, Dan Perkle went to work at the world renowned design company, IDEO. He started as a design researcher and is now responsible for co leading the design research discipline for the San Francisco office, the most insanely gorgeous office I've ever visited. I wanted to talk to Dan to better understand what impact means to him and how he's seen it over his career. This episode is sponsored by UserZoom, a UX research tool that combines qualitative and quantitative tools with unparalleled customer support. Learn more at UserZoom.com. And dScout, a remote research platform that is turning fieldwork on its head by allowing researchers to conduct experience sampling with real people right on their smartphones. Visit dscout.com to see how easy it is to start your own study. This is Ariel Sianflon, and you're listening to Mixed Methods. Today's episode Impact that Matters.
1: So, my name is Dan Purple, I'm a design researcher here at IDEO. I've been here for five years. Uh, I, I, and immediately beforehand, was doing a PhD at UC Berkeley in the School of Information, where I was really exploring the anthropology and sociology of technology and media. So that was my, my focus there. And that's not even a focus yet. But you know, academic careers go. It's a broad focus. But I, would, I feel like uh, ever since I was a kid, or at least an undergrad um, many years ago, I, uh, I kind of had these twin sides interested in liberal arts and, and technology and that defined my my undergraduate major was in something called science and technology studies, which at the time was very small. Um, now it's quite big. Um, and I worked as a designer and did work in client services before doing a master's degree. And in the course of doing a master's degree, which I was really focusing on design and, and human-computer interaction design at the time, um, got more and more drawn to research as part of the design process. So then uh, I was fortunate enough to get a chance to try my hand out at the, at the getting a PhD in the academic route and um, realized that I wanted to go back out into the world and, and, and make things and put research into, into service of design. So I guess that's the, I don't know if that's the short introduction <laughs> or the long introduction, but I'll let you.
0: Yeah, I would love to hear a little bit more. You know, you just said you, you do have this very rich background in academia and now you're obviously working at IDEO. You've been here for a number of years. Mm. What kind of inspired that change? You know, you mentioned wanting to kind of get your hands dirty a little bit, but what inspired that and what kind of keeps you on this side?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And, and it's one that, that people definitely are trying to explore when they're starting a career. Um, uh, I think for me, it was a couple of those core values that um, that we have here. And, and one is the ability to to collaborate with others on, on everything. And I found that when I was doing a degree, um, grad students were co- collaborating kind of all the time. Um, and we were talking all the time, but we were never really helping each other solve each other's problems. And there was a, almost a disincentive to do that as much as we were trying to help each other. And I I found that for me that this didn't feel right. It wasn't as, wasn't as productive. Um, Looking back, I do wonder if we had all helped each other write our dissertations, if we could have actually all finished in half the amount of time, just by <laughs> putting multiple yeah. brains on one problem. So that's one. One to be able to really collaborate and and not and then and the other, um, I think putting like having your work be more than um, an article that that sits behind a, a paywall somewhere. I know that as you get more and more senior in your career, certainly the ability to be like a public intellectual and to write publicly and to have more folks see what you do—that's that's, that's great. That's a, certainly a great way to get your your voice into the world. Um, I wanted to help make things, and so being out in the world where I could make things, and not just write things, was really important to me. Um, one of those things I don't think I realized when I started a PhD, but certainly by the time I was done, that's kind of where I went, where my head was at.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think even this year I had the opportunity to attend Kai, and it mm-hmm. was my first time, and oh, yeah. it was amazing. I mean, there's like, there's just such thought leadership there, right? In the space, you really can't find another space exactly like that. Um, but I think like what you've just described is something that I, I I noticed there because as someone who, you know, has really been in industry more, it's like for me, oh, I learned something. I should write an article about it, or I should share it, or talk about it. But there, it was like this amazing discovery. And I was like, well, how can I read that article? And it was, you know, you had to be a member of this and you had to log in and you had to get past that paywall.
1: Yeah, I think it's true of academia in general. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some good to be to being protected. I mean, you want acad- you want to be able to explore long-term research for research sake at times. And you don't want that pressure of making it all commercially viable and successful. That's, that's really an important part of what happens in academia. But, you know, it's good to be able to find ways to translate that over. And it's important in, our, in my research practice here and our design practice here, I really believe in, in harnessing the power of experts. So as much as I can, I try to get um, folks from academia either into our project spaces or we we do great interviews and we're consistently inspired by by that work. And so that's one way that I've tried to make sure to bridge the two sides uh, in the work that we do.
0: Yeah, totally. So I loved what you said. You know, you're kind of talking about that decision to move from one space to the other. And being able to actually make things and in my mind, I think have tangible impact, right? That you can see in front of you as opposed to, you know, something that's a little bit more difficult to know the value of the Mm -hmm. work that you're doing. And that's something that I've been thinking about a lot because this is a newer space. And I think in a way we're still really looking for those examples of like high impact to be inspired and also like to give researchers more confidence in the work that they're doing. And that was part of the reason that I wanted to have this conversation was to hear from someone like you who's had an opportunity to work on, you know, some amazing projects and really see the impact of your work. So, yeah, I would love to hear, you know, a story that comes to mind for you when you think of the impact of design research.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And and I'll say that what's, what's interesting about the work that we do here, um, as opposed to maybe folks who get to, who are sitting actually in a product company, is that we're, it's like, it always works in like layers of impact. So we're we're working with clients who are themselves trying to impact in the world. And we're trying to either impact them at the organizational level or actually touch their actual products that are going out. And so and so, as you know, I could, there's only a certain number of details that I can share about most of that work. Um, but I think, you know, one story that, that kind of comes to mind off the bat is we were doing some work with, with an organization that is trying to help older adults and help them during times of crisis. And as they learn to like, manage their lives as they get older and older and, and there's a, you know, our system right now, especially in the United States is, is fraught with difficulties. It forces people to really manage a lot on their own. And they, they kind of knew there was a problem and they went into the government services and went into different organizations and tried to see how people were trying to string all these things together on their own. And they said, you know, that's an opportunity for us to make a difference in people's lives, help them like connect all the dots between organizations. So they came to work with us. And so they came in with a hypothesis about what the solution would be. And it was really fun for us is that over the course of 10 weeks, we got to um, iterate with design and research, going back and forth and changing the way they thought about the problem in a way. So a few things that we did, um, we spent several weeks over time hanging out um, in a community center targeted around older adults. That was about that, the, actual, the actual center. I wish I could say more about who it was, but they were it's a wonderful group. It's oriented around like this is a club. This is not um, an old age home, and people come in and they visit. But there's also social services that are incredible. So they're providing all these services, and there was and they were so excited to have us work with them. So we we did things like participate socially. So we t- attended Zumba classes, <laughs> and in the course of these Zumba classes, it was like, yeah, this is where. This is where people are being social and being active and look at all the things that folks can do. So much of um, older adulthood is defined by what folks can't do. And so that was really important to see and feel and experience firsthand. But also on like the social services side, we attended a class on Alzheimer's and dementia that was intended for caregivers of, of some of the older adults who are experiencing these for the first time. And we, we, one, experienced what it meant to be in that kind of class. We then listened to the, qu- listened to the questions that people were asking and realize some of the key pain points around um, around the problems that our clients were, were wanted to solve weren't really about helping older adults per se. I mean, it was, but it was really helping those those caregivers, those people who never even never necessarily defined themselves as a caregiver or still didn't, but they were sort of thrust in this role by yeah, something. That, yeah, <laughs> thrust by something that happened in their lives. And we realized, first of all, in terms of who we should be helping like the, the opportunity to help, um, to help caregivers. And there was a person in that organization who defined it as the, the kind of accidental caregiver, um, kind of riffing on the, the old book and movie, The Accidental Tourist. And so mm-hmm. I think that was a very funny phrase that we learned from this person. And that became, so that was one shift as we shifted who we were trying to design for. And one is really focusing on the caregiver. Um, another is that by, by having our, our clients along for this journey, they they came to us in a moment. I remember we we were sitting having lunch after a few different design sessions and research sessions. They said, "I think we've been thinking about this problem all wrong." And he took a drawing. He made a drawing of here's how we've been thinking about the problem, and then he just basically flipped it upside down and said, "This is what I think the solution is." And like and honestly, like our team had been sort of seeing it in the same way, but we hadn't we hadn't told him this mm-hmm. and for us it's always incredibly important and meaningful when when we have clients along with us and they see firsthand and experience this stuff and they help us synthesize and reach these same conclusions and that it's like oh yeah so that i mean that's the the, the impact by by being out with us doing this kind of research and participating in research and design with us it was like able to flip that problem was something that i think is you know whether like that is something that for, like I, at the moment i was like this is this is great this is exactly what we want and you know, so that's that's a moment of impact there, just on the way the way our clients started to see the problem.
0: We'll be back after a quick word from our sponsor. I was just doing research on different methods that were out there, and I came across a ebook that was put out there by UserZoom. And two things set UserZoom apart for me: it's the tools plus the support and having that support is a game changer when you're building a culture of user experience research want to learn more go to userzoom.com
1: um with any luck the work we've done is is is, is hopefully on the road to, to to being out in the world in some capacity I, I can't say too much about it from that sense but um At least we we know right away that the way our clients even see the the problem they were trying to solve is is completely different and hopefully more human centered um, than than what it was before.
0: Yeah. So, I love that call out. I'm I would love to hear a little bit more for you because you know you're saying I'm not sure exactly from this work that we did like what translated right like what's going to be out in the world and when. So like for you when you're working on a project at the end of the project, what makes you feel like Oh yeah, that was great. We were successful. Versus, oh man, you know, maybe we should have, maybe we should tweak how we're doing that going forward or something.
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question, and I think I just just to kind of go back to like, one of the things that's really important for us, like in our process, is that um, one is internally we're incredibly collaborative. Um, we believe that we need all these different perspectives on our, on, on on research to be useful for design, mm-hmm. and that includes our, working with our clients, and so. We know, we know we're being successful when we realize our clients are actually going out and changing the way they do things even before we leave, or the way they have the conversations with their, with their colleagues or with their managers, or when they when we get ready for like a final presentation and we say something like, We would love for you to lead the work. And they say, Oh, absolutely. And they are incredibly comfortable and confident and they've really learned something from the shared experience. So that's one way we just know that there is something going on fundamentally that's gonna change. Um, When our projects end, our relationships don't end. So we kind of see how things are progressing and where they're going. We Mm -hmm. often re-engage with the project I just mentioned. Like we know there are positive steps to be made forward since that project. So we were like, and we've been helping out. So we're excited to see things that have been tested out in the world and potentially going out there. So um, yeah, I, I don't know Have I answered your question.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, as someone kind of like on the outside looking in, yeah. Ideo is such a a thought leader in this space, right? Like when you say human-centered design, yeah. I first learned of human-centered design through, you know, Ideo, through reading, you know, mm-hmm. different publications and different things that that you guys had put out and yeah, like when you talk about that story, for me that totally resonates and I've You know, had similar experiences. And I definitely think when you're talking about bringing the client along for the ride, it's like, I can make the most delicious meal in the world, but if I can't get anyone to eat it, what's the value? Right. And like as a researcher, sometimes you spend so much like care and love on a project, but like if you don't bring those people along, if you don't get them to sit down at the dinner table, it's like, what's the point? Yeah. Um, But I would love, you know, just hearing that story, something that comes to mind for me or something that I would love to get your perspective on is, how do you, you know, you talked about like your perspective being switched to the caregiver. And I'm curious, when do you feel confident in a finding? Like when you're going through a project like this with a client, is it when the light bulb goes off for them? Or are you like at a certain point like, oh, I've heard this five times. This is something that like feels really important.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I want to know that as a researcher, you're kind of always like asking, asking like, yourself, how confident are we? Um, <laughs> yeah. And I guess it operates at a few different levels. So first there is there is like the research finding or, or something that we hear. And yes, absolutely patterns. Like, you know, you start to hear the same thing. And especially when you hear similar things from people who you've intentionally recruited to be different from one another, mm-hmm. then you're like, we're onto something interesting. Oh. And then we're onto something interesting there. Um, so that is, uh, that's one moment. Um, we're, we're also defined in a way by our constraints. So when we have a certain amount of time to work on a problem, we don't just get the luxury of saying, oh, I'm going to go back out and learn more. Like we have to sometimes just put our put design on paper. Yeah. We try to present a breadth of possibilities. So one of the things about doing research in service of design is that design naturally should, our options should be different. It shouldn't be, we're going to give you three variations, like especially early on, three variations of one little thing. It's like, We could go in this direction, like A, and here I'm, sorry, moving my hands around kind of wildly (laughs) in the space, but could go A, could go B, and those should look very different. And then we work out with our clients that based on these insights, it could lead us in these two different directions. And so which kind of makes more sense, which feels like it feels like a richer opportunity, which are more testable in future rounds of research, Um, which which are you more inspired by? What's the kind of things you want to be doing? And so sometimes... um, it isn't always about having a hundred percent confidence in a particular insight, but it's about having a lot of confidence that you presented the array of possibilities that are really exciting and where this company or organization could move their products or move their design or move their, in the case of uh, other things that we do, like move whatever it is we're trying to design forward in a really, in a really powerful way. Yeah. So it's a little bit different, maybe, than just typical like research and, and getting findings that you're confident in. Yeah. And certainly, we do a lot of valid like. We do validation research as well, where we try to like go back and test things out and put things back out there. And sometimes we try to quantify those things, sometimes we don't. But it's, it, uh, it really depends on the questions that we're asking and what kind of confidence is needed from any particular problem.
0: Well, And I think that's such a great call out because it's something that I see pretty regularly is there can you know be this tension between, well, we want to do a lot of research. We want to explore. We want to like live in this mm-hmm. ambiguous space. But then you get to a point where, like, you have to make a decision and you have to move forward. So I think that's such a great call-out. You can do research up to a certain point, and then you have to move forward to the next stage of research and keep moving
1: forward. It can't just be like this forever exploration. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's I think that's what our work is, is, is about.
0: Well, and something else that you mentioned was, you know— Even sometimes recruiting people for the extremes. Yeah, and I think that that's something that's really interesting within the idea of philosophy is kind of like going to those extremes and trying to be flexible and you know kind of in that exploration. And I was wondering if maybe you have a story around the extremes and kind of trying to look into those.
1: Plenty of stories come to mind, and that's like that's the kind of bread and butter of almost all the work we do, which Mm -hmm. is which is recruiting for extremes. I'll say like so. There, there was a project that we did um, that that involved working with a technology company who was trying to understand um, media in the home and in Southeast Asia regionally, and, and that's a huge swath of space. We had yeah. to focus somewhere, um, so we we chose like we ended up um, doing some work in in Indonesia and in the Philippines, and and really, and even there, it was like okay, so that could be any you know. We could be there for years, like most anthropologists are when they study yeah. in these places, they're just there for the rest of their lives um, trying to learn. So here we had to decide which dimensions were going to be really important for us to learn from, um, uh, which behaviors, which things. We, we really spent a lot of time um, thinking about kind of household composition as a particular kind of extreme, um, like looking at people who are starting to model their lives more on a, a kind of a Western style, maybe... Um, smaller family own home versus folks who uh, are, are living multi-generationally. We, you know, many families under one roof or people who are doing these incredibly long commutes, which might have them staying in a city for a few days and then coming back to a home. And so those kinds of extremes um, suddenly as one dimension, and we had other dimensions as well around lifestyle and, and, and like other patterns of, of the behavior, but even just that one and household composition and, um, and who's living with you when, Suddenly opened up our eyes to whole new opportunities, um, looking at technology in the home and media in the home in ways that we hadn't really anticipated when we went in. So there's an example of of how looking at extremes can be particularly powerful.
0: Yeah how did you how did you decide to focus on that right like in terms mm-hmm. of the dimensions that you were going to look at and then you know you decided households was it you know probably a collaboration with the client but. I would love to hear about
1: that. Yeah, and there's there is a collaboration with the client. There's our team. So this is where like we're kind of gut checking each other. So we don't, even though I'm and on that project, I was the design researcher, and, and my job is to kind of guide and help our team see through see this research experience. We'll we'll like get in the room at the beginning as a whole team and with our clients when they're there and say, what are all the things that might matter here? Mm-hmm. So what are all the things that might matter to the for the design of the, for our design outcome? Um, what are all the things that might be really inspiring to the design outcome? Might put those all on, like you saw our foam core and all our post-it notes. We'll map those all out, map those out in relation to the research questions and the design questions that we have, and go for the ones that we feel are the most promising. In a way, almost like any research, when you're especially when you're in a more exploratory mindset, you you just go with whatever feels right. I mean, the other thing I would say for me personally is that. Having an academic background as well, um, I have informed I've been informed a lot by theory, which we don't talk about too much as in design like in the design context. But I've done enough of my own research and reading to know that like when we're talking about media in the homes, that things like family, family structure, the way families engage with one another is gonna be pretty critical to how things like um, phones and televisions and radios or whatever it might be, how those are gonna like function in that space so knowing that and having some good colleagues and talking to experts just knowing that was going to be pretty key as a thing made me like have more confidence that yeah i'm taking that experience that i have and bringing it in and other design researchers here with different backgrounds use other forms of of their previous knowledge or current knowledge to know what's what they feel like is going to be the kind of gut and that gut's based on experience and knowledge and and expertise from other other folks and then we we kind of use that with our teams and say, hey, we could do all these things. I, I think we should lean here. And then uh, our teams kind of respect the craft of design research being one that can point them in the right direction.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's it's so interesting hearing you say, you know, kind of your past life informing this life and like those theories. And so when you're in a project around here, mm-hmm. you know, and you, for example, this project in Southeast Asia And you're saying, well, I think that all of these things are going to be super important to inform, you know, this tech space that we're looking at because families, communication, these things are really relevant. Is that just you saying it or are you actually bringing in experts, showing other people on the team, like research articles, like how deep does it go or how much of it is just trust because you know that each member of the team has this certain expertise that they're coming in with?
1: Uh, It's a mix. And that's where like... It, it kind of varies project to project. I always try to bring in secondary research and, and, and academic perspectives, I think is really helpful. Um, and other folks and teams do as well. There are sometimes we have a project where we literally have to start a project and be starting to be in the field so fast that mm-hmm. it becomes like a gut call. And we'll, we'll say, where do we think we can get the most inspired and show it to the team and make an argument. And folks are like, yeah, let's do it, sounds good. Um, but I, I I like to rely on, uh, on other things as well, mm-hmm. so it can be either. Yeah, we try to use that stuff as primary, as primary material. It's like some, like so for there's an example of a, we we were doing some research in the media space about I don't want to get too specific here, but about a certain behavior in television watching that um, we kept noticing. And everybody's like, this really happens. And I went out and found some academic research and was like, not only does it happen, there's a nice quantitative study of this phenomena and how it, and it it's broken this thing down into several different groups. And we're seeing a different mix, but it's important to be able to bounce back and forth between like studies out in the world and that to give more confidence that we're onto something interesting.
0: It feels like with academia, it takes like 10 years or something for a discovery to be made and then for that to actually trickle down. And it feels like because of your relationship with academia and probably a lot of people around the office, you're kind of able to speed that up, right? So instead of it being 10 years later, it's like, oh well, I know the person who did this study or I'm so used to using this tool that you're able to use that as inspiration to inform a project at the start.
1: Yeah, I think I think your <laughs> your assessment is right. Uh the one thing I mean not not it's, it's interesting. I think there there's like not to get into the politics of academia, but certainly in in technology and engineering, the speed at which you know stuff tr- translates can, can be a lot faster um, because of you know grad students getting paid extremely high salaries to leave academia and go and go become engineers, and so there is that translation. I, I try to I try to make sure that the uh, the the sociologists and the anthropologists and and the the, the folks in the humanities are also looked after in terms of their in terms of the stuff that they're excited about um and and so i do think that that there there's kind of an imbalance in how in how knowledge is is sort of dispersed into the world and so it, i i do get excited when i have an opportunity to um shine a little spotlight on some research that maybe it's long-term impact in terms of like knowledge out in the world that maybe it needs to take 10 15 years to diffuse maybe that's a good thing that it takes that long But in terms of impacting design and just feeling our insights and inspiration, we can can kind of push it along.
0: We'll be back after a quick word from our sponsor. Long before starting this podcast, I knew about Dscout. I had heard from friends about an app where you could get paid to tell people about your experience doing something like shopping for a pair of pants or your daily yoga routine. As a researcher, obviously I was intrigued and then impressed when I checked it out. Dscout scout makes it crazy easy to set up studies and get in-context moments about the topics you're most interested in. The app is changing the way research is done from postmortem to an in-context experience sample. Learn more at dscout.com. What would you say for, like, what are the resources that you use to keep that connection, right? So... You went and you found this article. I'm wondering, I'm like, are you using like, J, what is it, J.Bisco or something?
1: I'm to oh, is Jay J.Shore, all those. Yeah. Um, I still do literature reviews sometimes, not nearly, not even close to as thoroughly as I would have um, back in my days. Day. Yeah, Just there's no time for it. Yeah. Um, Maybe I try, blogs, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do try to read the people who I know I've been writing about um, about this stuff. There's some great um, blogs Uh one good one that I love is called Ethnography Matters, mm-hmm. um, where some folks I know started it up out of a few different places, and it's a really useful uh, way to get that sort of cross between academic and professional perspectives. Um, and then you see what people are, are writing about publicly, and then you kind of use that as like little levers and hooks into maybe more of the more of the formal studies. And you just do your best. Yeah, follow the outcomes of conferences. I follow a lot of academics on Twitter to see what they're what they're doing and what's percolating up in the, uh, you know, and whether it's computer supported cooperative work or it's CHI potentially, or other places, um, you know, yeah, there's so many conferences that former colleagues I know who are doing incredible work are, are still presenting at and doing things and communications conferences. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> this, no. is getting, this is what you're getting at. Just,
0: I'm like, I'm excited to look up ethnography matters. It's <laughs> a
1: great one. Um, I try to, I try to read books. I try to see what my colleagues are publishing, my former colleagues are publishing, and what they are pointing to as and there's as best I can. I say book reviews are really good, mm-hmm. good sources. Yeah. These are what we tell grad students as well. Like, go read book reviews first and see what they're saying. And as a as a researcher, I still go to book reviews as a way to like shortcut a lot of the you know yeah, some of the That's reading. a
0: good tip. <laughs> So I want to jump back for a minute. You were talking about, you know, this study in Southeast Asia, Mm -hmm. and I just I would really I would really like to talk about kind of what made you feel in that circumstance. And I know this this kind of a theme of this conversation, right? Is the impact, Mm -hmm. or like what made you feel with that project? Like, oh yeah, we really had impact. I feel like I feel like that work mattered.
1: I'm curious when you're asking that question, matter to whom? Like, what's the What's the kind of hope that you have in the, in that question?
0: Yeah, well, and we can totally define <laughs> terms here. <laughs> that's a good call. I mean, to you, right? Because yeah. that's the thing is, like, as researchers, like, we spend our lives doing this work. Yeah. And... And I think that like we want to make sure that our work is having impact. So right. when I say matter, like I guess it it depends researcher to researcher. Yeah. Like, you know, for example, in your first story, like you really were able to change the perspective of this client. Yep. And I think that matters, right? Especially yeah. when that starts to like impact the yeah, product yeah. that they're making. So yeah, with this second story, I'm curious, like, was it a similar case where you felt like, oh, like the client perspective really changed or the product that they were putting out changed or like what makes you think of that as an example of research having an impact?
1: I think that's a, it's a great question. Um, I think in this case, we were working with, uh, um, something that was very, very early as part of like an R and D group. So even that by itself, regardless of us, it was going to be years for them to be putting things out in the world. So we kind of knew it wasn't going to have like immediate. immediate things out in the, And so that's, 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 that's one thing. Um, I think for us, the biggest change there is like, again, how, when you see how our clients are approaching a problem when they start and how they finish. So when they started, they were thinking, oh, innovation means one thing. Well, that's interesting. That's innovative at the feature level, which is fine, but maybe we can be innovative at a much bigger level if we actually understand what else we could be doing. And we, again, saw that transformation in the team that was uh, working with us, like, oh, it's beyond just a. A feature ad—it's mm-hmm. something much, much bigger, or could or could be much bigger, and then we have to just hope that that that, that in this case that stays that stay in, that, that's, that that stays. I would say that work has had a lot of impact, though here especially. Um, There's there there are insights from that work that are just for those of us who are on that project or do we do internal project shares, they kind of just stick with us, and so in a way it's a little bit of um internal internal teaching and knowledge sharing where it's like yeah like maybe. For the next project, going out and doing work in media, it's like, well, look what these guys learned when they focused on a certain topic, or can we push that idea even further? And so I can't reveal too much about the insights in that one, but it's the same kind of thing. So the, the, that impact is then def- by doing the research and by actually going out and learning and documenting and bringing that, like working with people and, and then sharing these stories, um, future projects are defined differently and future research projects are, do- are done differently.
0: Yeah, it, it's funny. I mean, you really can't—you really can't avoid benefiting yourself when you benefit other people. Right? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I—I'm curious because you know you're talking about like your internal team benefited, and you know you even mentioned earlier in the conversation these relationships that you've maintained with different clients, like following up with them. And I—I mm-hmm. I wonder how do you socialize or communicate what you're finding? How do you archive those things to? kind of enable that learning going forward? Because I think something that, like, I've seen happen is, oh, cool, we, you know, we did all of these interviews and we learned all of this stuff, but a year later, or even six months later, it's like, where is that? Or how do we continue to learn from that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Because one, I'll be honest, it's one that that is, that can be tough here because we're a very oral culture, which mm-hmm. is um, maybe, I don't know if that's contradictory or not from a company that actually makes a lot of things that are very tangible, Mm -hmm. but we, we really believe in the power of storytelling. And we also believe almost implicitly that, that knowledge is, is produced in communication and relationships. And so we, whether self-consciously or not, we kind of embody that. So we do have systems where we have documents and repositories and people can try to find things, but almost everything we do is like, hey, where can I learn more about this? And it's like, well, don't look at this deck. Go talk to this person. Mm-hmm. And that's always the first place to start. Um, that has its drawbacks. You know, I, I think I think what's nice about it for somebody like me is that having a background in information science, um, the history of knowledge management is, is full of, like, really bad systems where you can database and archive everything and then nobody finds it. So yeah. it's, it's nice <laughs> that we... 99% of people's <laughs> Dropbox accounts. It's nice that we don't just rely on that. Yeah. Um, but we we are pretty kind of like oral and storytelling based to the to the extreme. And so maybe uh, we could do better in terms of uh, finding, making those stories easier to access. But it's really important for us to, I think it's because we believe that like the stories only make sense in the context. And the only way to really understand the context is to talk to the people who are involved is a really critical part of that. So the, the research is always sort of like this fluid thing that what we've learned from it can be adapted and changed every time.
0: Yeah. So just as you were speaking you know about the relationships involved with this work and kind of the oral nature of this work it makes me instantly think of community and um and really IDEO has created such a community of making people start to think about humans right like at the center of all of our designs and um anyway all of that is a long way to get around to my next question which is for you personally being in this space right like trying to make design a very human practice. What makes this work meaningful for you? Like when you're in a project, when you're in Southeast Asia yeah. or you're, you know, in a community center with elderly people, like what keeps you, what keeps you here?
1: To me that what makes it meaningful? Well, first of all, I think is the, as, as a as somebody who's trained as a researcher, like going out and trying to understand what's going on in the world, like the world of people, um, what's going on in their lives, how they're experiencing life is incredibly rich and meaningful. And I'm, I'm guessing most of the folks that you talk to have some version of that as, a, as an answer. Like, like there is something incredibly powerful about just learning about people and seeing their world through their eyes just for, just for a moment, whether it's through the course of uh, an hour and a half interview, or it's a short conversation at a mall, or it's uh, six hours over dinner or even a longer extended stay, whatever the case may be. It's like, it's amazing to get that experience. It's very, it's kind of, it's it's a huge privilege. There's that even more of a privilege in a way, or I don't know, but the ability to kind of teach as you go. So everything we do is so collaborative that as a researcher you can't help but be consistently teaching the practice of research to your colleagues all the time, whether by demonstrating it or by having side conversations about why we just did the thing that we did and, and seeing your colleagues go from, I don't know, maybe never having done research before or having done tons of research, even though they're interaction designers or, or industrial designers or brand designers, but starting to see the world a little differently because of their engagement with both me, but also the people then that I've facilitated their conversation with. That's also so meaningful to me. It's like, wow, I'm really, affecting their lives or affecting all of our our lives together. So that's another big source of meaning for me. And then I think just the fact that there is a translation between between research and design and how those things go back and forth, then I get to see, well, look at all the stuff we learned and then to hang out with somebody who in a matter of hours or maybe days or depending on what it is, just like turn turn our collaborative design efforts then into something that's physical or digital and just beautiful and fascinating and the way they turned an insight into a new problem and we we work on that together there's certainly a shift to where like their passions and skills start to drive the process more and it's like really humbling and you you have that and it's like wow like look what we just did and look what you just did (laughs) that I couldn't have done and that's so that's where there's so much meaning. So maybe you combine those levels of meaning together. Maybe that's maybe that's a good reason to stick around. It's like you, <laughs> you get to do that all like literally all the time. And then you get to go from project to project. And if you have a project where two months go by and you're like, you know what, this project's not great. This is kind of a drag. It happens. You know, there's another project coming. You have something else you can work on. If you're tired of a certain topic and you've been doing it for a while, you can you have power here in agency to try to work on something different. And I think that's. That's that's also another reason. Like you, never, you can never get bored here. It's, it's impossible to get bored here.
0: <laughs> um, that's a great answer. All, each level is is great in its own way, <laughs> um, and I think definitely like the first level that you mentioned of just the opportunity to see the world through someone else's eyes. I think as human beings, we're after that all the time, right? Like you see that by us going to the movies, making art, like reading books, like we're constantly after that. But the interesting thing I think about this space is that you get to do that with another actual human being in yeah. front of you, as opposed to, you know, like a book or a movie or something that maybe gives you even deeper or um, like a more unique perspective or something, but it's it's still removed, right? Like there isn't that face-to-face interaction with another human being. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So one last question that I, you know, you just mentioned the opportunity to get to work with someone and actually like take these insights and make them real so quickly, which I think is super unique and the skills that are kind of at play with that. And I would love to hear from your perspective as someone who, you know, really has had this this broad spectrum of experience from academia to design research to now design lead. Um, I would love to know, like, what are the skills that you feel like have been most important in your practice and in successfully being able to kind of get those insights that allowed those people to, you know, make something amazing right in front of you.
1: A <laughs> <Another> great question. <laughs> yes, very good questions. Um, a bunch of things come to mind. I don't know if these are in a prioritized list. <laughs> I don't know if these are the most. If I'm ranking them anyway, uh, subconsciously, um, the skill of of listening and observation. These are things that we do every day and as part of our lives. But you, if you have ever taken a methods course or been an apprentice to somebody who's kind of a master at this, and and I don't even consider myself there yet, you just you realize that a lot of skill involved in seeing things a certain way and clearing your mind. And I think in uh, in Steve Portigal's book, Interviewing Users, he I, somewhere in there he talks about you're not only in an interview for example you're not only talking to somebody you're also monitoring thing everything going on at the same time which me you know which is an incredibly hard thing to do and when i was first starting out i didn't even realize that was a thing i should be trying to do or it's a skill i was working on and then years and years and years in, you're like oh yeah that is what i do and oh i am probably better at it than other people who have never sharpened that skill mm-hmm. So that ability to listen, to monitor, to do all those things at the same time, that's, that's a really important skill. Another one, I think reading, like the skill of reading and knowing how to apply these things. And, and that really gets into like, when you think about reading and interviewing and r- r- observing, there's a skill to synthesis. Um, so the, the, both the analysis and the synthesis, which is really a, really a critical part of our process here. It's maybe an undervalued part of the general research practice. I know we like to focus a lot on field methods, but the importance of synthesis and how to get into pattern finding and clustering and turning that into stories and knowing which things you're just gonna let go of given a particular context. Um, again, I think it's that's also a skill and a practice. Let's see, how do you work on that? I guess you just do it a lot. <laughs> you know it's something to be done and then try to work on it. Um, there, there are more, so storytelling. Is incredibly important. And I think folks who you you've talked to before also have pointed this out, but it's not so much the ability to go out and find things, but be able to communicate it both to yourself, to your teams, to your clients and creating rich, rich documentation of research isn't just documenting it, but it's also finding new things in the research. So if you're, you might see things through photographs or through video or through media, that through the process of telling the story, you're actually learning new things about what you saw. So storytelling itself is important for communication, but also for finding insights. Another, so that's a really important skill, and that could be storytelling through decks, keynote or PowerPoint, using video or audio. The more skilled you get at being able to tell your own stories and not relying on others and communicating them in a a kind of multimodal way, in a visual way, in a textual way, like that, I would really recommend folks work on, any researcher to work on storytelling. Um, if they're an academic researcher, to understand that the research report in academia is a particular form of storytelling that's important, but there are other forms out there in the world that it will have also have importance in understanding your audiences. Yeah, there's more design skills, always yeah. vital to a design firm.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm <laughs> and like that... go on and
1: on, so maybe I'll stop.
0: Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad that you I'm glad that you brought those ones up, particularly storytelling, because. Um, especially when we're talking about, you know, like you mentioned, like bringing a client along for the ride and um, having that impact is really being able to tell the story at the end when someone comes to your desk and they're like, tell me about this project. Yeah. So I love that one. Well, thank you so much oh, for absolutely. taking thank the you. time today, Dan. It's been sure. so cool to hear from you.
1: Yeah. And thanks for, thank, thank you as well. It's really, it's, it's, it's a privilege to have a chance to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Thanks for listening. If you want to continue the conversation, join us in the Slack group. You can request an invite under the community tab on our website, mixed-methods.org. And if you have a second, write a review of Mixed Methods wherever you listen. It helps a ton. Special thanks to Denny Fuller, our audio engineer and composer, and Laura Levitt, our design mastermind. See you next time.